0: You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form, and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Well, hello there. Welcome to this episode of Bodyful. You will probably notice already hearing some ambient noise on the recording. Um, On some of the podcasts that I have hosted before Body Full, I would often record intros outside. and I may have recorded an intro for this one outside, I can't remember, but also I would sometimes record solo episodes outside, and I just decided that I wanted to record a little solo episode for y'all and the the water sounds are a little extra right now because we just had a heavy rain so the ditch that is normally either dry or just a light trickle on my street is like a straight up stream right now uh, which is really lovely Um, you'll also notice i sometimes get a little winded (laughs) my street is a slight hill and we may get the occasional car dog Um, hopefully some good little bird songs that are happening now. So um, yeah, Uh, part of why I love doing some of these outdoor recordings is to really kind of contrast the super polished, professionalized, sterilized version of the podcasting world with just real life and me being in a space where I am most connected with the earth, with myself, with my body, while I'm coming to you with these messages, uh, I feel like there's a lot of power in that. So, so hopefully it's worth the uh, winded voice occasionally and, and the occasional car. So. <laughs> um, but I decided that for the first solo episode of Bodyful... I wanted to just give a little bit of a primer on the autonomic nervous system and how we can work directly with the nervous system to regulate our bodies um, and our minds and help ourselves kind of come back into a grounded, uh, embodied state when when things come up and we shift out of that state which is a lot of the time <laughs> and for people who are carrying trauma um, or you know a number of other kinds of mental health things physical health things there's all kinds of of just triggers and even just living daily with some of these things that can come up and sort of uh, take us off of our center so understanding how we can use the body to help ourselves um, is so effective because a lot of times we we can't just get there in our minds we can't just CBT our way out of pain or whatever um, and working with our thoughts can be a helpful part of the process um, and you know I'm sure we can talk at some point more about uh, how we kind of combine those, the mind and body pieces of it. But for today, we'll really focus more on how we work directly with the body to regulate the nervous system. So I'm going to share briefly the about the uh, what's called the triune brain, or the three-part brain. I can't recall the name of the person who originally developed that concept. It was a long time ago, but uh, Dr. Dan Siegel popularized a way of uh, showing or teaching about the trying brain that has become very popular and I find very useful. I think like a lot of things in sort of contemporary psychology and neuroscience, you'll find people who are like, well, maybe that's not exactly how it works, you know, like even a lot of the concepts that um, like polyvagal theory, there's been. Uh, in general, some some kind of questioning around, like, maybe that's not the, the full picture. But, you know, I also think about what actually works and helps people. And that to me is more important than knowing 100% if this theory fully explains everything. Um, so the trying brain, and I'm going to hold up my hand, I know you can't see it. So you can hold up your uh one of your hands if you're able to if you're in a place where you can do that not driving and then curl your thumb kind of into your palm and then wrap your four fingers around your thumb and if you look at kind of your wrist area into the base of your palm this is what we would call the reptilian brain or kind of the the oldest part of the brain and or brainstem area And this is the part of the brain that's responsible for a lot of the involuntary functions, blinking, breathing, heart beating, all of that good stuff, um, survival instincts, and some of that fight, flight, freeze, um, involuntary response. And then if you kind of peek into your thumb in there, your thumb represents the mammalian brain, the next oldest part of the brain, which... Is kind of where the the limbic system, the amygdala, are located. It has to do with our our social bonds, our relationships, um, hence kind of mammals coming into packs together, as well as our emotions. And again, some of that kind of fight flight response definitely shows up here because it's not until later when, if you put your fingers back over your thumb, the uh, cortex developed, and if you look at kind of the the front part of your fingers, there that kind of flat line that's uh, created across your knuckles, um, that is your prefrontal cortex, and that is where we do our executive functioning, our kind of rational, logical thinking, our ability to kind of pause and assess a situation, to check the facts. All of that is happening in the prefrontal cortex. So if you imagine being In a situation where uh, something is triggering or something activates you whether it's truly a threat or even just a perceived threat so a lot of social things um you know and, and living in times where many of us are not frequently in uh situations where we may be facing a true physical life or death kind of threat Uh, Our nervous systems don't always distinguish very well, especially if we are kind of hypervigilant based in past traumatic experiences. Um, Sometimes our smoke detectors are calibrated a little sensitively, um, but even when that's not the case, just the average person, a social threat is often going to be just perceived as a threat. And so uh, we get activated, and then sometimes if we go way outside what's kind of referred to as our window of tolerance. So if your window of tolerance is kind of when you're sort of in that grounded state, you're able to engage and, and um, you're pretty well regulated. But if we, if we go out of that window of tolerance, we essentially flip our lid. So you can imagine, again, cur- uncurling your fingertips. Boom, there's just your amygdala, your limbic system kind of goes into action And that's, you know, when we reflect on a situation after the fact and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Um, Those are the times where we have kind of flipped our lid in that moment. So we weren't thinking with our wise, grounded part of our brain. Um, That part was offline. So a lot of the work that we do in kind of somatic and embodied um, psychotherapy is helping folks to learn more self-regulation skills, yes, how to cope more effectively with our thoughts, but also our emotions and our physical sensations that are, we more have to kind of deal with directly in the body um, that can help us to better integrate so we're less likely to flip our lid. We kind of expand our window of tolerance more and also that when, if we do, that we can kind of ground sooner. So, um, so that's kind of a, an intro to the triune brain. And I hope that resonates. I think that for a lot of people, when they hear that the first time, it can feel really validating, because it's like, oh, okay. So there's a reason why I was not thinking super clearly or able to you know, call on my wisest self in that moment. Uh, or I wasn't acting in a way that I'm proud of, it's not about rationalizing our behavior and just being like, whatever, I can't be held responsible, I flipped my lid. But understanding um, why we do the things that we do, even when we get very frustrated or confused by them, there's usually a pretty good explanation. So if we understand that and we can continue, um, as I said, looking for ways that we can both regulate in the moment and also the more that we practice these regulation skills throughout the day almost like taking them as vitamins even when we don't need them the more that we can start to shift our baseline capacity for self-regulation and and that's kind of that expanding the window of tolerance piece so i'm just going to share a few ways i mean this entire podcast is kind of dedicated to this in some ways so in our different interviews with experts of different kinds and people who are, um, have different lived experiences, uh, we'll always be kind of talking about what are the strategies that they find really useful personally or professionally. So definitely check out our interviews for more. And I'm sure I'll do other solo episodes on this as well, because Um, I'm going to keep this episode fairly short, so I'll just kind of give you a handful and ones that are relatively easy to describe in audio only. So uh, the first one that I'll share is uh, a breath practice because the breath is sort of known as the quickest access route that we have to the nervous system. So to be able to kind of upregulate if we're in that sort of um, hypo-aroused, lethargic, uh, low kind of place, or to down-regulate if we're in that hyper-aroused, uh, anxious, panicky kind of state, the breath is an excellent tool for being able to do that. And you, you've probably heard uh, about breath work as sort of uh, a phrase that's being used increasingly in the sort of wellness space, there are a lot of different contexts for working with the breath. So when I see the phrase like breathwork workshop, um, that's kind of going to an a even deeper level than you really need to go to just have a few tools in your toolbox. Um, and I will be totally honest, and at some point I should bring on a breathwork practitioner Um, In fact, I'm trying to remember one of our upcoming interviews, I may be someone who also does breath work, so TBD on that. But I, I just don't love the longer form sort of breath work practices where you're kind of working with it in, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, even longer, kind of working with the breath. People will say that you can get to sort of altered states of consciousness through that, that there's... Some of the benefits that people can experience doing things like psychedelics, Um, some people will use that kind of longer breath work practice to achieve something like that. But if you're not necessarily looking for that and you just want a few skills, then you are still doing breath work in the sense that you're working with your breath. But you just kind of know that there's that distinction of if you see, you know, a breathwork workshop or a breathwork practitioner, they might also be doing a lot of that longer form kind of practice. So working with the breath, um, one of my favorite strategies, I'll share a few, is alternate nostril breathing. And any of these, if you need further description, um, I'll put some links in the show notes to YouTube videos that have good visual demonstrations of them. Um, and I'll also just describe them here briefly. So for an alternate nostril breathing, which is, comes out of the yoga tradition and yoga breath work is called pranayama. And so this is called nadi shodhana pranayama, but you can also just call it al- alternate nostril breathing. So I like to take my right hand and put your peace sign fingers on sort of your, your third eye or the spot between your eyebrows. Your thumb kind of hangs out by your right nostril. Ring finger hangs out by your left nostril. And then press your thumb down on the right. Breathe in through the left. And put your ring finger down on the left. Breathe out through the right. In through the right. Switch and exhale. In through the left. Switch and breathe out. Inhale. Switch sides, exhale. And you can just keep that going for a few more cycles of breath. One more inhale and exhale. And just drop the hand, let your breath return to normal. Just notice how that practice landed for you. Some people can really immediately experience like, huh, feel a little calmer. Some people hate it and that's totally fine too. If it's not for you that is okay and then there's also of course logistical challenges that can show up sometimes if you know someone has a deviated septum they may just have one side of the nose that they just can't breathe very well through ever or if we've got allergies or you know cold stuff going on sinus issues there can be challenges breathing through just one nostril at a time so it's not always going to be uh the best practice for everyone but in general, that is one of my go-tos. <laughs> For some reason, I always joke when I'm teaching clients this when I'm like, this is, my, this is my go-to strategy when I'm on an airplane and there's turbulence. It's like just distracting enough. And also, I know that behind the scenes, it's also kind of working directly on my nervous system with that kind of bilateral side-to-side stimulation. Um, and it really does help me to not freak out to kind of just be with my anxiety and, uh, work on, on regulating. So that's a really good one. You can do it for just a couple minutes. You can do it for much, much longer. So, um, I think like a lot of these practices are excellent to use in the moment, as I was saying earlier, but also some of them are really good to just use as kind of daily practices. So the next example I'll share of a breath practice is actually one that I just learned recently. There are, there are variations of this that I've learned before, but I really liked the way this one was described. I'm definitely gonna link to a podcast episode that goes very in depth on this, but I'll give you the quick and dirty so that you can just try it out um, and put it to immediate use. And then if you really want all the sciencey stuff behind it, you can go and listen to uh, Dr. Huber- Huberman's podcast where he goes into depth on this one. But just, you know, till you do that, take my word for it that the research for it is really compelling and including that if in, in one of the studies that if participants did this practice for just five minutes a day, it made a marked difference in their kind of baseline um, stress level or whatever anxiety level, whatever the symptom is that they were that they were targeting. So that to me is very powerful, thinking that five minutes a day can actually make not just an impact in the moment, but a lasting impact. So this is called physiological sighing and essentially it's taking a two part inhale through the nose and then exhaling through the mouth. And I can't remember if he makes this distinction, but I like to kind of add that on the exhale through the mouth, adding a little bit of uh, pursed lips, meaning almost like you're kind of breathing through a large straw as you're exhaling. So, When you take that inhale, it's almost like you're inhaling maybe 2 thirds of the way, and then you finish by taking that second inhale all the way to the top, and then taking that exhale through the mouth. So let's try about five rounds of that together if you're able to practice now. If not, you can just skip forward 30 seconds or so. So let's take the first inhale through the nose. Second inhale all the way to the top and exhale through the mouth. Inhale through the nose. Second inhale to the top and blow it out. Again breathe in. Second inhale. Exhale. Two more rounds in, in, through the mouth, exhale, and one more round in. Second inhale and exhale. Let the breath return to normal. Ah. Yeah, I mean, and that was so short. And I'm like, wow, I feel a little more grounded already. How cool is that? Um, there's something that, again, you can listen to Dr. E. describe more of the science-y stuff. But essentially, it's something that our, our body kind of naturally does this kind of thing every few minutes from the way that I, I understood him describing it. But w- when we can sort of do it in this more exaggerated, intentional way we get like extra benefits from it, which is so cool. Um, okay. So let's do a couple more. Um, this one is not a breath practice, but it's another one of my go-tos that I like to share with clients. And that I will come to for myself. Some of you may be familiar with the concept of EFT tapping or emotional freedom technique. Um, It's like a lot of healing sort of techniques, has its own baggage. Um, It's based in Chinese medicine, the sort of energy meridians that run through the body, which, you know, I will not at all claim to be an expert on. uh, But I do know there's been a lot of empirical support for acupuncture. And so the meridian points that are used in things like acupressure and tapping are essentially trying to activate those same uh, points that are used in a different way in acupuncture. So what, regardless of, of your sort of belief system or knowledge about Chinese medicine, I mean, my experience has been, I'll just try out a practice and see if it works. And if if it doesn't work for the first couple of times, you know, if it's something I really want to keep trying with and exploring and troubleshooting, great. Or toss it out. And if it does work, but I'm not entirely sure why, then okay, cool. I don't need to totally understand. I know understanding can sometimes increase our buy-in, which both increases our motivation for doing something and can also increase the effectiveness, whether that's because of placebo effect or building our hope and expectancy or whatever number of variables. But Sometimes it can help, and sometimes it's unnecessary, is my experience. Um, and in fact, the person who I learned this variation of tapping from, Marissa Tears, she's uh, a very, um, I was going to say successful, it sounds like a weird word, uh, a very renowned hypnotherapist for how effective her techniques are. Because um, she brings in a lot of these little tools in addition to kind of traditional hypnotherapy. So she's more of an integrative approach. Um, and the way she described this one was essentially that like, she's like, I was all skeptical about this tapping thing, but you know, when my, whoever was her doctor, whoever said, you know what, I've just heard this can be effective with migraines. And she, she's like, fine, I'll try anything. I've tried everything. And they actually helped her migraines. And of course, what's wild about strategies like this, um, that when we're working with the nervous system directly, they can be sort of like cross diagnostically effective, right? It's like, oh, it can be helpful for anxiety, for depression, for urges, for cravings, for like so many things, which I know can sound a little bit like uh, a snake oil sales pitch. But if you think about it, why it's trans diagnostically effective is because we're working directly with the nervous system, then we're changing sort of like, what's underneath all of that other presenting surface level stuff. So again, if it works, great. If it doesn't, either toss it out or keep experimenting with it. But I really like this version that I first learned from Marissa. Or sorry, I always miss it up. Yeah, Melissa. Now I'm going to have to look that up. I'll put it in the show notes. I think it's Melissa tears. Okay, I digress. I like this version that I learned from her. And um, faster EFT as opposed to traditional where there's like, I think about nine points. There's a YouTube video for everything under the sun you can find on EFT tapping that most of them will use all of those nine or so points. And there's kind of more of a structured script that you can use with that. I also like the tapping solution app, though. I will say part of the baggage I was referencing in the beginning is that that's created by this like brother and sister duo Um, and while I think a lot of the the things they've created are really effective and and great um, it is there's a weight loss component of their uh, books and that app that I just pretend is not there um, because I don't love that so I always give that kind of warning that I just advise staying away from that Um, it's not that I don't advocate for mindful awareness and regulation around our relationship with food, but I just don't love the weight loss terminology um, or encouraging that. So that caveat aside, you can find all kinds of stuff out there, including that app of kind of using the full tapping protocol, but this version of Faster EFT, there are just four spots, love the simplicity. You can use either hand or both hands. For right now, I'm gonna take my right hand and I also just tend to use my kind of peace sign fingers for this, but it doesn't really matter just as long as you have at least one finger that you're using to tap. Um, first point is kind of the inside edge of your eyebrow. So kind of close to that third eye, but inside the edge of the eyebrow, just start to tap. And as you're tapping, just say in your mind or out loud, Release and let go. Ooh, I'm releasing and letting go that loud truck sound. <laughs> and then the outer edge of your eyebrow, kind of like side of the eye area. Release and let go. And then tap under the eye. Release and let go. and then take your open palm, tap kind of the top of your heart center. It's around where your thymus gland is. So tapping with your whole palm. And then back to that inside of the brow, release and let go. Outside of the eye, release and let go. Under the eye, top of the heart let's do one more round inside the eye eyebrow outside the eye under the eye top of the heart and then take that hand wrap it around your opposite wrist And just the word peace. You could replace that word with any word that felt best for you, like safe, here, okay. And release your hand and just take a full breath. Notice how that landed. And we only did like three short rounds. Um, This practice can be pretty effective pretty quickly. Normally, I would say maybe do at least 10 rounds of it. And, and sometimes, this is totally optional, before any of these strategies, if you find it helpful or incentivizing in some way to kind of rate your whatever your thing is that you're experiencing, whether it's shame or anxiety, whatever the distress is, or you could just say rating the distress um, from zero to 10. And then you can use a couple of these strategies and then rate it again. And even if it's only come down like a couple of points, that's progress. You made movement, you can feel effective in that, you can feel skillful in that, it might be motivating to do another skill or two. And I say that with the caveat that often if we try to sort of create a paradigm or we have a paradigm where our goal is to get rid of the distress, that can be counterproductive. Um, so it's, I, I try to be a little playful with it. Like, all right, I'm just going to kind of use some of these skills and see what happens. Like what I love the distress to decrease. Sure. But I also just know that the way the body works and even the way the mind works with thoughts, we can't just turn it on and off like a faucet. So I can try to create those conditions for self-regulating, but I can't, Force it, and trying to force it, or feeling like a failure if it's not moving as much as or as quickly as you'd hope, can just increase the distress um, and add another layer of frustration or shame. So, just try to kind of hold it lightly—that you're you're just doing your best to create those conditions for self-regulation—but knowing that you know every every day, every moment, our experience is going to be different, and sometimes. If the best that we can do is just kind of breathe into a feeling and allow it to be there and know that giving it permission to be there doesn't mean that we are that feeling. We don't have to drown in that feeling. The feeling is not permanent. Even that alone is an excellent strategy for just kind of riding the wave or as some of my clients would say, sitting in the suck. Sometimes we got to sit in the suck. And that doesn't mean that we're going to set up a permanent camp there, but we have to be willing to make room for the discomfort because a lot of times we shrink our window of tolerance unintentionally by kind of short-circuiting any kind of distress that shows up. So if we notice like a little bit of discomfort starts to show up, consciously or unconsciously, we can start to reach for something that's going to short-circuit that like reaching for the phone, right. Reaching for, you know, um, like for me, a lot of times it's like, Oh, how am I at the pantry again? Interesting. And I'll check in and be like, am I actually hungry? Well, no, I had a snack an hour ago. Huh? Okay. And it's like, if I didn't have that moment of awareness, then I wouldn't even know that I was kind of short circuiting some kind of loneliness or discomfort with uh, low stimulation. And I would just kind of immediately, um, sort of resolve that tension or distress by going to the thing right or going to the phone or going to the whatever kind of that maybe dopamine hit is for you so it's not wrong sometimes we need to um, distract and kind of go to some of those skills but having a lot of tools in our toolbox can help us to not over rely on certain things so if i'm always relying on distraction to instead of, you know, learning how to kind of ride that wave of distress, then I'm, you know, going to have a pretty low tolerance for distress. So I know this is a lot. (laughs) And as you can tell, I could probably keep talking for hours. Um, But I'm just going to share one more with you right now that's very simple. I'm not going to do it myself because I'm walking in the street. But I pledge to you that when I walk in the house, I am going to do this in a few minutes. Um, And that is the Yoga Posture Viparita Karani, which is legs up the wall. Now you can, if you don't have good wall space where you can like lay down at the base and um, usually I'll kind of sit in a little ball uh, with my side against the wall and then kind of swing my legs up as I lay down onto the floor, it's a good way to get into it. But if you don't have a good wall space with floor space under it like that, then you can even do legs up the chair and just lay on the floor, put your calves in the chair and you still get a lot of that inversion. So legs up the wall and really any kind of inversion that feels good in your body um, is really regulating because it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. I didn't even get into that terminology earlier but when I was using those terms of like hyper arousal Imagine that's like the gas pedal. We're activating the sympathetic nervous system or we're in sympathetic hyperarousal. Whereas when we activate the brake pedal through doing some of these practices that I've described today, or any other practices for, that for you activate the brake pedal, we're activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So you don't need to remember that terminology, but you will probably hear it around if you're not already familiar with it. So just throwing uh, more words into your ears. And I am going to go inside and put my legs at the wall, activate that brake pedal, and enjoy it. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you would like more episodes like this or have any particular guests or topics that you would like to see on the pod, please reach out to me. I am Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at Gaia Center, G-A-I-A Center, Co, see you guys in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes, head over to www.gaiacenter.co. That's G-A-I-A Center.co. You can follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center. And follow me at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.